Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Drinking and Screaming, a new podcast we're doing about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Shar. And I'm Kelly. And today we're talking about the second film of the Cloverfield franchise, 10 Cloverfield Lane. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made an acidic drink that's so good, you'd want to swim in an entire barrel full. Just a heads up, we were supposed to have a guest for this episode. But due to unforeseen circumstances, they weren't able to make it. So this episode will just be us. Shucks. You're left with us. (laughs) So sorry. Poor you. (laughs) (laughs) So I made the drink this week. You did. I did. And I call it the perchloric delight. Perchloric delight. Because it's it's it, I'm I'm doing a thing based on the perchloric acid in, in oh, the barrel. Because that so that's was why the, you could drink a barrel full. That was huh. the thing I wanted to consume the most from that movie was the acid that burns you a lot. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's mostly a lot of just different acidic things, lime juice, orange liqueur. But the base of this cocktail is Muddler's vodka soda. So thanks for that, Muddler's. Not just any vodka soda, but it's also got lime in it. So it's even more acidity. (laughs) And the best part about this drink, I'd like to say, I mean, obviously the contents are delicious, but I went extra fancy here. I made a sugar rim. Mm, So that's what's so sticky about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. It makes the drink to me. I think it's touching my computer. My computer's going to get sticky now. (laughs) Everything's (laughs) sticky. I feel like a toddler. Well, because I made this, I tried to make it like we did a test run last night and there was just something that wasn't, it was like too acidic. I needed mm. to cut the edge off. Take and the, the edge sh- the off. the sugar does that? Yeah, a little I sweet? I think it does. You don't think so? It, I mean, it is everything that you like about a cocktail. Sweet, fruity, sour. Yeah. It's almost, awesome. It's almost like a margarita, but usually they put salt on the rim of a margarita, don't they? Yeah. But this one's sweet. Yeah. I feel like I just opened up my toy box that's what kids call them these days and there's just like a a melted popsicle in the bottom of it oh because there's just sugar everywhere i'm very sorry do you want to do you want to wash your hands do you need to wash your hands no it's fine (laughs) you're gonna live in the filth i don't want to wash my hands (laughs) uh it is very acidic it is 100 a char drink it's not the most acidic one you made there's definitely been more acid in the past thank you but i do feel like if i put my hand in this it will burn away the skin <laughs> then that's the point yeah <laughs> i think there's a little bit of emmet in this one Ooh. <laughs> oh, i do not like that um so for those of you who don't know we're uh we watched 10 cloverfield lane uh, which came out on March 8th, 2016. It's directed by Dan Trachtenberg, written by Josh Campbell, Matt Stukin, and Damien Chazelle. It's the second film of the Cloverfield franchise. Can you give me that synopsis in case I've never watched this movie before? Why, certainly, good <laughs> sir. What I did was splice two of the IMDb ones. After getting in a car accident, a woman is held in a shelter with two men who claim the outside world is affected by a widespread chemical attack. However, Howard and Emmett's intentions soon become questionable, and Michelle is faced with a question. Faced. Did you like faced. That, that little list? Gotta go with Sean Connery. But Michelle is faced with a question. Is it better in here or out there? Banana. 
Now, give me that that trailer audio in case I really haven't seen this film before. Yeah, it was a joke, but I've never seen this movie before. What? (laughs) (laughs) There's been an attack. I'm not sure yet if it's chemical or nuclear. Where are we? Underneath my farmhouse. What happened to your arm? Were you trying to escape? I was trying to get in. There's a woman. She wants me to let her in. You can't help her! You're going to get all the kills! How do we get out of here? Is that how you thank me for saving your life? Let me go! So... This trailer gives everything away. Yeah, it's one of those bad modern day trailers where you don't have to see the movie after this. But I had to use this one because if we used the other one, it was just, I I think we're alone now. That song? It doesn't seem to be a better trailer to use. (laughs) Which was actually a perfect trailer. Yeah, that one was really good. Not the one we just watched. This one was awful, but the... The, the I think one. we're alone one yeah. was great. But for this audio medium, mm. I thought better of it because that's just listening to a song that gets spookier and spookier, which is cool. But this one gives you more of a, a in 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 a, in inked in. What's the word I'm trying to think of? Like a visual of what the plot would be, uh, uh, inkling oh. of what the plot <laughs> is. <laughs> you mean one of the characters from Splatoon? Yeah, yeah, it gives you an inkling. <laughs> Um, yeah, my, man, so, yeah, the first trailer basically just makes this movie look like a kidnapping thriller with John Goodman. Which I am so into. And then this one's like, hey, nobody wants to watch that. Let's show them all that there's an alien in this movie. So any sort of, like, drama and or intrigue in in this film is just ruined by watching this second trailer. Because that's the point, like, what's amazing about this film is how much it goes back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And for like such a long time, you have no clue whether or not he's telling the truth about there being an apocalypse. Yeah. And then... It's one of my main points that I'm going to discuss later. Like, And this trailer's like, you know what's better? Knowing that there is one. <laughs> so or at least there's an alien in it. Removing every mystery. Like, uh, they... The first thing that they do that kind of gives it away is when there's like the light behind the house. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh man, okay. So it's like that haunted house animated movie <gasps> monster house yeah that's the one. Oh my god maybe we should watch that during halloween month Ooh, october for the kidlings because you know that's a very good halloween vibe movie mm-hmm. but then like moments later in the trailer it actually shows kind of what looks like the creature from super eight the other jj abrams yeah. film <laughs> running at her and you're like oh it's it's actually a cloverfield movie yeah i get it now I thought it might but just be was, like a horror anthology. But the whole point was that it, <laughs> it ruined it. Yeah. So don't Took watch the, the trailer. All the surprise. Yeah. That trailer we just played for you. Don't listen. Yeah. Pre, pre uh, well, What's the word of like after it's happened? Just Block your z- ears? Erase your mind before. like Men in Blackwood. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like they probably had to do that to get the right audience in. Well, they go off of the, like, the whole marketing is that it's part of the Cloverfield movies. I guess. But, like, we'll probably talk about it at some point in the future. But think about your first time watching Captain in the Woods, where you went in thinking it would be, like, a spoopy horror movie. And it totally was not. And then imagine going into this with, like, expectations that it'll be a thriller, powerful woman movie. Yep. And then it's still powerful woman, but it's not just John Goodman that's the evil villain. It's yeah. a space alien. <laughs> it's a alien. 
Yeah. Which actually, I'm glad that you brought up us talking about Cabin in the Woods because there's going to be a bonus episode on Spooktember, another podcast that's all about, it's a daily podcast. It comes out literally every day of September. It's way too much work. (laughs) I could never do that. But it's all about getting into the Halloween vibes, which I love. I'm all for this. We've literally already done that. Our entire apartment is full of Halloween decorations, and it's September. (laughs) It's perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But so we guested on their episode of an episode of theirs a while ago, just talking about our Friday the Thirteenth costume couple costume. But we're actually going to take over an entire episode, which is supposed to come out this week. Oh, that's how you do a daily podcast. You get other people to make episodes (laughs) for you. Yeah, of course. I figured it out. I I broke the enigma. (laughs) My drink is empty. I'm faced with two dilemmas right now. My drink is empty and my hands are sticky. Do you want... I got got baby wipes for my computer. Do you want one? Yes. And let's not not cloud the judgment that my drink was fucking amazing. I'll take sticky hands equals awesome drink any day. I feel like that isn't necessarily the fault of the drink, that it's sticky. What, What is it? Think you, uh, I think the components of the drink were fine. It was the, the presentation. <laughs> yeah, well. Plus, I think restaurants use like big salt or sugar crystals and not grains sugar used for baking. Yeah. I definitely had to wash these glasses before using them. So I think maybe I didn't dry them enough. Oh. Which made the uh, sugar drip down a bit too quickly. Normally, it would be okay for you to drink away and it would be fine. See, we don't no- normally do actual good cocktail advice on this podcast what you talking about but we I, are professionals are we professionals yeah but i think that's a good point if you're gonna rim your glass make sure that it's dry first whoa what whoa. a novel concept i mean i wouldn't <laughs> have thought of that i probably would have done the same thing i mean yeah i did a dumb if you're doing something like a beer or something like that sure just pull that shit out of the water i like those you know those glass cleaners that they use at bars where they like stick the glass onto yes, the water I and it in a shoots restaurant. up I've are, done that. These things are fucking rad. <laughs> um, so we need one of those in our house. Yeah, but don't use them if you're bringing, rimming the glass. <laughs> That's our very first. We'll have a tip section in season two when we're professional mixologists. Ooh, don't put make promises that we have to keep. Name our tip section. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now it has to happen. Please name it for us. Uh, but, uh, Kelly, I need. Or, oh, do you have it? Were you thinking of an idea of a name? No, that's not my job. <laughs> my job is to have job? my job. Once once people are hearing these words, my job's done. Ah, that's true, Mister mm. Editor. Yeah, but uh, I want to know some of your sir, your deep deep thoughts because when we watched this for the first time, it was you had already seen it before. I had, and you introduced it to me. I did. This was like a year ago. Two years ago? Uh, probably two years ago. I think this was probably one of the first movies that I showed you in the list of horror movies that I liked. Well, if that's true, then it was like four years ago. <laughs> Whenever we started dating. Yeah. <laughs> it's but a mystery. It's a mystery. No one will ever be able to unravel that. <laughs> so yeah. uh, It's near and dear to your heart, so I would like to know. Yeah. So my first point is that I really like any sort of thriller or drama or anything that requires like tension that has so few characters in it Mm. because it really lets you like build up why you should care about these people. 
and really work on their like relationship together better than you would with like a larger ensemble. Yes. Which is like something as an actor, I feel that hugely in theater, like some of my favorite plays, like The Wool Gatherer by William Estrasimone, look it up. Or maybe (laughs) one day I'll make an audio drama podcast. Or I guess it would be like a radio play podcast. Something like that. Of that show. Because holy crap, just two people in an apartment for the whole show. But you get to learn so much about them. Have you ever watched My Dinner with Andre? No. I had to think about it. That's why there was that pause. Yes. <laughs> it's basically a movie about a guy, a like weird quirky friend invites his like successful friend out for dinner. And literally the entire movie is just them having a conversation about like why they don't hang out anymore and like what they're doing with their lives and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's basically just like an insight into a regular conversation between these weird dudes. Okay. And it's a, a film? Yes. Ah. It's also an episode of Community. What? <laughs> they, oh, they spoofed it? They did my dinner with Andre dinner with Abed, I think is what they called it. Nice. Anyways. Love I, Abed. I even wrote in my point that it's like watching a play because you have enough cast to fill the roles that you need in the play. And then and it's just... Play, theater is expensive. Exactly. So you gotta have a minimal amount of people involved. Exactly. And as much as I love Cloverfield, the first one, the fact that it's like such a large ensemble, and especially in the beginning when it's like a party dealing with the guy going to Japan or whatever. Yeah, the guy from In Your Eyes, my all-time favorite movie. Mm-hmm. So he's... Meanwhile, he's like looking into his girlfriend's mind, watching her wash dishes or something during his party <laughs> as the Cloverfield monster is attacking. But I think even with that, especially since it's a found footage movie, there's just so much cast that you have to like figure out the relationship between everyone. And then there's like the one odd woman out who's not really a part of the group. And then she has to start meeting yep. people and stuff like that. Yep. So like during this havoc, you're also trying to build in your mind how these people know each other and why they even give a shit when one of them dies or whatever. Right. Whereas in this one, it's literally like, three different people with three different motivations and three different histories. Like there's a whole scene where Emmett's talking about how he was, was a professional runner and how he missed the bus cause he was too nervous and got plastered instead. And like, Which I deeply connected to as a person trying to succeed in the arts. Exactly. (laughs) But like that did that provided nothing to the movie other than just getting to know the character and feeling for him moments before his inevitable demise. Yeah. And I think that's something you can't really do when you need to be like developing five characters or six characters at a time. Well, it's kind of like the beginning of Bird Box where it's an apocalypse and like everyone needs to like hide somewhere. Yeah. So then there's like a bunch of strangers that go into a house mm-hmm. uh, to bunker up. But that's different because there were so many people. So you really don't feel the attachment that you could. Yeah. That movie does an okay job. The book is way better of like introducing you and making you care about all the individuals. But it is just so much easier. You get to know it's I. it's hard to even describe what makes... Wow, this tent is really bad. <laughs> so comparing Bird Box, which has like so many characters compared to this film of 10 Cloverfield Lane, which there's only three or plus a few uh, ensemble members. Yeah. There's no comparison. You can't even compare the two because there's so much time to get to know all the characters and build that tension. Yeah. Plus on like the editing floor. Editing room floor? Yeah. The cutting room floor. The cutting room floor. That's it. The editor basically decides like, oh, we don't need to know more about this person because they're going to die 10 minutes from now. Right. So we're going to focus more on the three characters that are going to make it to the end. Yeah. And so you basically just end up with like these shallow meat sacks that are just there to die from the big bad. 
Whereas like in this movie, when Emmett dies, it's like so out of nowhere. And he's the only, he's like the only character you have. Dude. Dies. Just wait until we get to my points. Cause <laughs> oh man, I got to discuss this a lot. And like, even to the point where we kind of start caring about what's his character's name. Howard? Howard? Yeah. The, yeah, the You actually, like, kind of start caring about him, especially when he's talking about, like, his kid, and, like, he lightens up a bit when he's talking about when he was in uh, the Navy or whatever. Yep. And, like, froze, his, uh, froze the handle off the door so his lieutenant or whatever couldn't get out. Which is a, such a good example of, like, the so- sort of storytelling where they have anecdotes that seem just character building, but then it's a huge plot element later. Yeah. Because then Michelle uses that to escape the bunker mm-hmm. right at the end of the film. Which is kind of interesting, then, if you think about, like, maybe they were building up the idea that, like, oh, you probably assume Emmett's just going to, like, later in the movie, he's going to have to run away from Howard after they escape the bunker. Oh, and he's, he's gonna so do fast. it. Yeah. yeah. And not just that Howard is a large man and wouldn't be able to run after him. <laughs> but yeah, it's like they gave you information. They give you a lot of information that you're like, oh man, how's that going to play in or whatever? I find it also like I didn't make that connection of like, oh, this is going to come up later. Mm. But it's two separate times because first there's the vodka that they create themselves they like make cool, or yeah. Howard does. Yeah. And then he makes, yeah, he makes it cold using the uh, nitrogen in the can, mm-hmm. which is what she uses later. What, combining that fact or that article with him freezing off locks and breaking them. Yeah. When making them really cold. So that's so cool. Love that. And you wouldn't be able to do that if you had to focus on six characters. Exactly. Uh, you would basically just have a scene of Howard freezing something in the background with the thing. And then he would put the coolant on the table and she would look at it and the camera would look at it and you'd be in your mind and be like, oh, that's Chekhov's gun. That's it's important. Just sitting there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the gun right there. We're going to use that later. Whereas I loved that it was a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second point, I'm actually working backwards. I wanted to change the order. My second Ooh. point <laughs> is that uh, the way that John Goodman plays Howard, it almost feels like either, to me at least, either he's on the spectrum or he's like a hardened Navy military man. Which we do know he was in the Navy. Yeah, but there's something about the way that he acts feels so realistic for either one of those. Yes. That the it kind of plays with your idea of whether or not he's a villain. Not that like people on the spectrum are villains, but like the it kind of makes you think that they're doing the stereotypical thing of like somebody with a uh, mental disability or someone on the spectrum is... Yep automatically evil or if he's actually just like a very well-prepared man and he's presenting it in such a way that like of course i saved you like why wouldn't i save you you were in trouble and the apocalypse was happening yeah um i find it interesting that you use that as an example because for me what first made me think oh maybe he's on the spectrum is like the tiny things that Michelle uses to her advantage at the dinner table. Yeah. Um, she asks for the salt and then when that happens you can the camera cuts to Howard, who's like giving her a weird look, but like so side eye, like so subconscious that normally you wouldn't catch it, but Michelle somehow caught it. So then she uses that to like push his buttons mm-hmm. and make him like extra angry. And then you see it explode, which is interesting. And he was, yeah, which was again playing on the fact that we knew so much about Howard, but also just like small little takes where I think she asks him a question about his daughter or something like that. And then he like answers the question and then turns and walks away. It was like, he's very like efficient and to the point. And he's also very like crafty. Like he puts his mind to something and he figures yeah. out the smartest way to do it, mm-hmm. which is like a sign of like Asperger's and, and stuff like that. And his obsession with uh, creating this bunker in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And like his social mannerisms all kind of 
I don't know if they intentionally did it where it could be either or and you're not too sure. But for me, that was just a very cool like character thing is that he's either been trained for years and is very efficient and to the point or he's got Asperger's and is like genuinely thinks that he's saving this person by like capturing her against her will. It's like, you need to do this because I said so. And this is the proper way to do it, which is how that works. And it goes with also like, it could be both. That's true. A person on the spectrum can still be in the Navy. And that's definitely, I think it has to be a little bit of both. They definitely double dipped here in the best of ways. It was such a cool character trait. And it would also make sense for his character to go down the road that he did because it potentially like his wife couldn't put up with his, like she just didn't like him after a long enough time or got tired of the way that his personality works. I think it was the obsession of creating this bunker. Do you like think, think of how much money that he like dove into creating this. Yeah. And then she leaves with his daughter and that's not the thing that he wanted. So it kind of does make him like fly angry. off the handle. Exactly. Exactly. Which is interesting if that, because like then you kind of get an idea that he's not just like an evil person. His like, his motivations to do this and like recreate his family are based on like past trauma and stuff like that, which is really cool. Super cool. I really like his character. Also, the way he breathes is upsetting. I think my favorite part about him, like John Goodman playing this character is that John Goodman has such, from at least all the films I've seen, he's such a good guy. Yeah. So it was interesting to see him. I mean, he is a good guy in this scenario. Except in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I haven't seen that. (laughs) He's upsettingly evil in that one. Oh, okay. But because that's what it was for me. It was interesting to see him play this. He played it so believably, but it was still like, wow, it played to the fact that I wasn't sure if it was a a real apocalypse or not. Like, was he a kidnapper or not? He seems like he's such a good guy. He has to be just taking care of her. Mm -hmm. And he's just presenting himself. He kind of seems creepy from the outside. So like him locking her in and stuff like that. Of course, he would want to introduce her slowly to this new life. Yeah. If she just dove right in, then she would kind of have a freak out. But I don't know. Yeah, I agree. But that way he breathed. (laughs) And that way he locks her knee up to the wall. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't know. It's a very interesting and like, I don't know. It's just a really cool, well thought out villain, I think. Uh, And then my final point is uh, I really love the musical score in this movie. Oof. Tell me more. From like the moment that she's running away from her boyfriend, it's it starts to play like the main theme. And it's such like a good mood setter of like her driving on this dark road and this kind of ominous sounding yep, music playing yep. to the point that like while she's in the bunker, it almost plays like kind of se- sounds like fantasy music sometimes, especially when she's like ascending the stairs up to the bunker door. It's incredibly thematic and very adventure film mm-hmm. like even though it's a thriller, which normally when uh, you think of a score of a thriller. It's a lot of violins, yeah. same tone, or like... Or like rising shepherd tone, or like lowering shepherd tone. Tritones, lots of that. But this definitely had a real melody. And then like when you get to the point where the alien pops out, you're like, oh, it makes sense now why the whole music sounded like a fantasy movie or like an adventure movie. Yeah, which also, it was interesting because when I had watched this film, the music wasn't something that stuck out to me mm. but then while I was making the cocktails today you were playing it on your computer because we were just about to get ready to record yeah. and I really noticed how much of the themes like really stuck out and could tell the story with just themselves and it's not normal that I don't acknowledge a theme or a soundtrack as I watch a film so I'm surprised actually of myself that as I was watching it 
I was so invested, I guess. Like, yeah, that's a good thing. It, the movie was so engaging that you just the music was just supplementary. Yeah, it added. It definitely added to the film, but um, it wasn't something that caught my ear in, yeah. a, in a good way. And then even to like the licensed movies that they used were like very. The licensed music, you mean? Yeah. Wait, what? You said movies. Yes, the licensed. I mean, he did have movies. He was watching. Yeah, but that wasn't what you were talking about. Uh, (laughs) The licensed music is very on point, too, even to the point where it's a little bit like, "Mm, I get it. I know what you did there. Where like the one of the main themes that he plays is I think we're alone now. It's the it's the apocalypse. Yeah. And I think that was that in the film or just in the trailer that I watched? It was was, actually in the movie. I think it was during a montage when they were like it was showing them bonding and stuff like that. It was playing. I think we're alone. Yeah. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. Which is, you know, a little on the nose. But uh, I think it it, kind of gave that almost like Bioshock vibe of like, it's this cheery end of the world. Like, Mm. we're just kind of like putting on a smile where everything's burning around us. It's the, this is fine meme. And it really, I love that meme. The dog (laughs) and the fire everywhere. So pertinent all the time now. That's how, that's my, me constantly now. This is fine. Hashtag Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, those are my points. Why don't we go on to your points now? Sure. My first one is that I kind of touched on it a bit, but I love my, I think my favorite thing about this movie is that it really dances on the line of Michelle and like how she figures out like is how dangerous is the situation that she's in? And like, is there really an apocalypse or not? Yeah. Because she hears like cars overhead when she's trapped multiple times. And then something that was huge for me was like, is Emmett in on this in a bad way or not? Oh, did you think that when you watched through the first time? Like there was so much time between the first time we watched it and the second time that I knew the basic concept. Like I remember the end a lot and the, beginning a lot but i f- totally forgot about uh emmett being shot oh, and yeah. like dissolved so up until that moment that was when i was like oh no he really was there for <laughs> her and really was gonna help her escape because he helped howard build this uh amazing bunker and there was just something about the interactions at the dinner table there's so much nuance in this film and like the dialogue and everything that always dances on that line of like, is there actually a what pop? is happening? Is something else going on? Yeah. Even to the point when like at the end of the movie, she takes off the mask and breathes fr- fresh air. You're like, Oh, okay. It was all bullshit. But then it wasn't. And then seconds <laughs> later it wasn't bullshit. Yeah. And uh, then she goes, Oh, come on. Or like something like that. Yeah. Which is funny because I think between, Oh, come on. And she says like, uh, for fuck's sakes or something like that. When the, She's like, oh, come on, when there's a spaceship that drops, like, the uh, dog alien. And then there's no dialogue until, like, the spaceship starts shooting out the poison gas. And she's like, for fuck's sakes, or something like that. (laughs) It's just the, it's just no dialogue for between those two points. And it's great. Oh, man. Which is also, like, the beginning of the film. There's, like, no dialogue for the first 10 minutes or so. Yeah, that's true. Which is interesting. Mm -hmm. A lot of heavy music there, underscoring. But you learn a lot about the character, even just before even getting in the bunker. Yes. How, like, resourceful and strong she is. We're going to take a moment to talk about our sponsors and socials. This episode of Drinking and Screaming is brought to you through the generous support of Muddlers, who donated the vodka soda we used as the base of our cocktail. Made locally in Vancouver, BC, Muddlers vodka soda takes its cues from classic cocktails. Vegan and gluten-free, be your own bartender. Bring a perfectly mixed, ready-to-drink vodka soda anywhere. 
Or, you know, make what I made. Yeah. <laughs> Check them out on social media at Drink Muddlers. Yeah, well, I guess we never really asked them if we're allowed to put other things into their drink. Eh, it eh. was in the concept. <laughs> uh, drinking and Screaming is made possible through the awesome support of our patrons. Thanks to everyone who's currently a patron. You guys are the reason we wake up in the morning. And wow. I don't wake up in the morning. I get up at like three in the afternoon. So thank you for that. <laughs> you let us sleep in. Follow us Instagram and Facebook at Drink and Scream, Twitter at Drink underscore Scream, and you can email us at Drinking and Screaming at gmail.com. On Discord, we're going to cozy on up with our partner, Super Hopped Up, so check out bit.ly slash Hopped Up Discord. You can make sure to please rate us on iTunes so that anyone can help find us. It would really help us out. We have a new ad for you today. Uh, it's from another podcast that's actually very similar to Super Hopped Up. They're called Grand Rapidians Play Video Games. So listen to that right here. <laughs> Hello. Check out our podcast, Grand Rapidians Play Video Games. Every episode we review a beer. Talk about games we play. And recommend a podcast or something else. I'm Willie. I'm not your normal beer snob. I've been to more than 150 different breweries, but I always keep hams in the fridge. <laughs> I'm Ginger, and I am in the first Guinness World Record Book video game edition on the Tetris page. I'm Simon, and I can usually kick their butt in most video <laughs> games. We drink while we record. <laughs> Fuck yes, we do. <laughs> find us wherever you find podcasts, and enjoy. Which actually brings me into, I think it's my next one. If not, you could just lie and say it is. Yes, it's not, but it is. <laughs> um, the fact that there's this weird concept of Howard like not being able to see Michelle as an actual woman. Mm -hmm. like, a girl, she is a princess, a, a, a daughter, a girl, um, little girl. <laughs> it's, that scene is so awkward. They're playing, I want to say, is it Taboo? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Also, which is a game, for those of you who don't know, that you get a single word that you need to get a teammate to guess, but there's a bunch of other words that you can't use mm. to describe it. So Emmett is trying to get Howard to guess the uh, word little woman. Yeah. So he's like, small. And then Howard says little. And then he's like, oh, Michelle is a... And girl, then child, girl, um, uh, uh, small girl, young girl... <laughs> A uh, child. And there's like so much of a buildup before of like p awkward pausing before he eventually gets stuck on the tangent of child. Yeah. And it's so weird. Like it made me feel so uncomfortable. And obviously like the characters were really uncomfortable too because like it is evident that she's not a child. Like yeah. she's she has her own place or she's living with her boyfriend. At the beginning of the film, she leaves a wedding ring on a bedside table. Like she was going to get married. That's how like mature she is. And then of course we see all her resourcefulness throughout the entire film. But he was so set in like his I need to create a family. I need to create a daughter. Yeah. Thing that he could not Oh, it's which is also such a good scene. Again, kind of the like similar traits to someone with Asperger's is like they this is exactly the way that they see it, so that yeah, is what it is. Exactly. Which is ah, oh, love it. Love it. Mm -hmm. I love the writing in this. And then followed by him being like, I know what you're doing. I always watch you. I I can see everything you're doing. I know what you're up to. And then they're like, What it's are you? Santa. Which is so oh, great. Man. 
I remember watching that and I'm like, what a weird time for him to bring this up. But I guess that's how he's dropping the bomb on them. And then he's like, I'm, I watch you when you're sleeping. And I was like, oh, it's Santa. Yeah. yeah. I know when you're awake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then my last point is I want to actually take a moment to discuss with you because I want to know your thoughts on this, too, of the missing woman that gets revealed. Oh, yeah. And like. So it seems like maybe Howard kidnapped another woman before kidnapping Michelle to recreate his family. But it's also like kind of vague. So was there another person before Michelle or was it his daughter's earring? Like, oh, I kind of I think we talked about this a bit after you watched it, but I almost feel like he probably made this bunker with the intention of like, I know that the Russians are building some shit or aliens will attack us. Right. And so it was pretty like altruistic or crazy. And then his wife left him and took his daughter. And I think from then, I assume he started kidnapping women to like replace his daughter. Right. So he was already in the crisis mode. I so think that's so, why yeah. he's using this plate. And wh- space. whether or not that woman was like the first one that he did, it's unclear. Ugh. But I feel like when the actual apocalypse started... He freaked out and he had just seen Michelle at the gas station and ran her off the road so that he could have one last attempt at have it, recreating the his daughter. The perfect family. Yeah. And then Emmett ran in as, as he was closing the door and that created the whole course of events of the movie. That's my thinking, at least. Yeah, that definitely, it does make sense. It just like... Because the picture that he had wasn't of his daughter. That was right. of the person that Emmett recognized. Which I forgot about. Yeah, that's the totally like proof there mm-hmm. and she's wearing this uh, shirt the je t'aime paris or uh, something like that which is like i love paris which michelle herself was wearing when she found it plus the when she's like crawling through the air duct and she finds that area that says like help me with a scratch mark mm-hmm. so that is it's clear that he's at least kidnapped one person but yeah it's it seems like he's probably done it before, especially he had fucking perchloric acid in his bunker. Do you think that was to get rid of a body or do you think he actually originally got that so that he could make sure that everything was clean and got rid of any sort of like nuclear oh, waste? No. I definitely think he got it for a body for the first time. Yeah. When he killed the fake Rachel or mm. whatever her name was. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> the scene where she's in the air duct and sees the help actually kind of reminds me of uh, Silence of the Lambs where, oh. um, what's her face? The first woman or the woman that he captured was Buffalo Bill. She sees in the wall like nails trying to climb out of the well. Do you remember that scene? I haven't, I don't think I've seen Silence of the Lambs. Did we watch it together? I'm sorry? You've never seen Silence of the Lambs, the play that you auditioned for and watched the movie beforehand? No, I was thinking of um, not Silent Hill, another one. Another silence. Okay, wait. Let's start over. So in, in Silence of the Lambs. I've seen this movie so many times. <laughs> that was a big brain fart. Okay. The continue. woman is in the well. Yes. And she's like screaming. Erica Hahn. Erica is in Hahn the well. from Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> she looks at the wall of the well and there's like bloody fingernails. fingernails. Yes, yes. yes, 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 yes. Okay. Anyways, when Michelle finds the, the help, because the help has a bit of blood on it from yes. being, because she clearly scratched just scratched out. it with her. Yeah. Either her nail or her earring. I feel like the earring makes more sense but then why would she start bleeding halfway through i think she was injured already so this was her Uh, trying to either trying to escape or something she must have been like i think it must have been that she was like hit or something to make herself bleed like hit in the head which is why there's blood on her earring but then she tries to escape or like 
tries to do something so that someone can help her. So she gets to an area that Howard can't go to to scratch out this message. And then she has to go back down and pretend that everything's fine. But, but then, then obviously he kills her. Why was there blood on the pee, though? Because Unless- she is scratching with her finger. You think? I thought she was scratching with her earring. I don't know. Then why would there be blood on her earring or on the letter? That doesn't make sense. Can you scratch into glass? Yeah. With your nail? Yeah. I don't. You're desperate enough? I don't think so. I think it was her earring, which is, I think the blood was just to spoop you. Anyways. fake bad blood? Yes. So we got bad blood. Yes. He captured Taylor Swift to try to (laughs) replace his daughter. Thank you for catching that reference. Oh, I know Taysway. (laughs) Anyways... Yeah, that's. I think he did capture a woman and was trying to do this. And whether or not he did it multiple times, I doubt it. But I think catching Michelle was like an act of desperation where he needed to get at least one last girl to try to turn into his daughter during the apocalypse. So it is multiple because he at least did it once. Yeah. He had a real daughter, lost her from badness, got a fake daughter, had to kill her because she didn't want to be a daughter, and then got Michelle. Which sucks then, because if he didn't get Michelle, he probably would have gone down into the bunker by himself and sat there for a few years waiting for the radiation to dissipate. Yeah. Because he genuinely thought there was an apocalypse. Well, there was an apocalypse. Well, there was, yeah. He genuinely thought that the air was poisonous, which it is only when the spaceship farts it out. Yes. Which that dissipated real quickly. But thank God she had the mask on. Mm-hmm. Again, with her resourcefulness. It only takes, like, holding your breath. The average person can't really hold their breath for more than, like, a minute. A minute is, like, stretching it. I feel like the if gas... you're not a swimmer. I feel like the gas dissipated within a minute. But that's from them trying to kill one person. If they're just going to go to a town, like, cities, this... We missed the major apocalypse in this film, but they definitely went somewhere and like sprayed all that shit everywhere. You're an average Joe working at your desk. All of a sudden, green mist comes up. And I'm like, thank God. Oh, oh man, I've been doing overtime. This is like my third 50-hour week in a row. The aliens have finally showed up. Oh, I can rest now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That makes sense. So then do I... The explosion that Emmett talks about, because he says in the earlier parts it, of the film. Yeah. But then do you think the explosion were the military retaliating against the aliens? Or do you think that their fart gas hit a, hit a line, like a fire line or something, and blew up? Because it did show that it was extremely flammable. Because when the gas is emitted on the farm, it hits the fire that's coming out of the bunker and explodes again. Right. I think it is the gas from the spaceships so you think it hit hit some I think fire military had no clue what was going on yeah. they were too late because at the end of the movie you see just a fuck off huge spaceship yeah like the mothership so maybe it was emitting fart gas all over houston <laughs> fart gas i originally thought it was the explosion from the end of cloverfield one that Which they used also to... is interesting but that's in new york and houston Not is much this. further away from new york yeah i am told whoa whoa <laughs> do you have any other points uh, no, that's it. I, but I do actually have some fun facts for you. Oh, how fun are they? Well, they're actually scaredy facts. Oh, scaredy facts. Tell me more about this. Yes. So for those of you sweet, sweet listeners uh, that do not know are for joining us for the first time, whenever Kelly and I watch a horror film, we always snuggle up either on our sofa or usually in bed. And one of us will read the... Oh, I have to interrupt this because Kelly took another sip of my delicious cocktail and he's making a sour face. I thought that was a a, uh, 
seed, but it was actually a big chunk of lime. You're so welcome. Very sour. Arrgh. Go on. Um, but yeah, so we'll snuggle up and uh, one of us will read uh, fun facts that we find on various movie sites to the other about the horror film we just watched. Usually we do the person who knows the most about the film will do the fun facts. But I feel like it's been Kelly a bit a bit more than me this these last few days, so I did the trivia. Also, I was lazy, so... I mean, I was giving you the benefit of the doubt, nah. but <laughs> Kelly had to work, so I did it this time. <laughs> um, but are you ready? I am. For these scaredy facts? Yes. All right. Number one, which you already know, but for our listeners who do not, Bradley Cooper voiced Michelle's boyfriend, Ben, on the phone. Do you think they just called him up while he was doing Rocket Raccoon and be like, hey, can you leave a message <laughs> about how your wife left you real quick? Thanks. I find it interesting that I know him like so well, but well, okay, that's a weird way to say. I that. know him. I don't. Per- I'm not me best and Brad friends with Bradley go way Cooper. Back. <laughs> but I feel like I recognize his voice, but I did not notice that at all. I mean, it is coming out of a phone, and there's music playing, and yeah, also why? And also, of- I don't recognize Rocket as Bradley Cooper. Yeah. And why would you go into 10 Cloverfield Lane expecting to hear Bradley Cooper, especially as like a nothing role like that? Yeah, because he doesn't even come back. It's just this one when Michelle at the beginning of the film leaves her boyfriend and her whole life behind to have a big change. It turns out that her boyfriend is Bradley Cooper. Yeah. And he's like, don't do this. We just had a fight, man. Maybe uh, him and J.J. Abrams are friends. J.J. Abrams? J.J. Abrams. Love that. Maybe they're their buddies, and he was like, "Hey, you want a part in my next movie?" <laughs> Maybe we can't see your face, and also it's like a ten-second clip. <laughs> Speaking of J.J. Abrams, I got another lovely fact for you. Ooh, uh, the name of the gas station that Michelle stops at to refuel at the beginning of the film is named Kelvin. And this is an Easter egg that J.J. Abrams slips into all of his projects. It's a tribute to his um, maternal grandfather, Henry Kelvin, who owned an electronics company. And he influenced J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams. (laughs) J.J. Abrams. uh, When he was young. Oh. So that's apparently it's in almost all of uh, J.J. Abrams movies. So it's not in reference to Calvin and Hobbes. No, that's Calvin, not Kelvin. Oh, it's not in reference to the temperature kind. Yes, there you go. Yeah. You did it. You got there. Thanks. Um, <laughs> my maybe most interesting fact that I I found. I'll be the judge. <laughs> I mean, I think it's cool. Is that the film was actually shot in chronological order, which is very uh, rare. Usually filming uh, is all over the place depending on location. And the fact that you said this movie is kind of like a play they filmed it like a play like they did all scene by scene as it goes there's a few reshoots that they had to do for like little insert shots yeah but basically it was all done chronologically one of the main insert shots that they had to do was howard when he's uh when michelle's going through the vents and he's like how's it going and looking up at her through the vents he's actually had to wear a fake beard because he had already shaved it off like filming was already know. done Interesting. I guess that makes sense if you have one set that you would feel comfortable doing it in chronological order. I definitely would rather do any. I mean, I'm primarily a theater actor. I do a lot of voice work, too, but I rarely do film. Yeah. Uh, And I do find that film, it's difficult for me to like dive so quickly into moments with characters. Whereas in in a play, I love to start somewhere 
and have all those visceral reactions come at me and like everything builds up to something whereas mm-hmm. film is all over the place and you get just a natural growth of their chemistry i would think exactly because especially because john goodman's character is so unlike both of those other characters you probably need something to bring them closer together by the end because like before everything goes to shit they do genuinely seem like they're having fun together yeah like i would say that the sewing up his face scene is like the moment where you kind of get you kind of feel like they're becoming friends yeah it's after she's done two very bad things to try and get away yeah and realizations have hit her Mm -hmm. it's more like hey i know we're stuck in this situation but let me tell you about some fun, quirky things from my past. Yeah. And you probably wouldn't have got that if it's like, that's the first episode, or that's the first scene we're filming right now is, do you guys need to develop this chemistry between this weird guy and this woman who's trying to escape? Which I will say is literally an actor's job. And that's why they get paid a bajillion dollars. Yeah, but they like show up. They're drunk. They're handed a script, and it's like, here, don't you don't have to remember your lines. We'll feed them to you while we're filming. I mean, the amount of times I've been on film sets, that is exactly how it goes. And then they're like, I'll be in my trailer. trailer. But I do think, I'm, oh, man, the amount of stand-in work that happens compared to, like, everyone else, all the extras, all everyone comes in and does all this work, and then, oh, let's call in the cast. Yeah. Um, but I, that's not to belittle the work that actors do. I am... I, mean, I cannot. I'm, I'm not still trying to level. work my way up to films, so I can shit on whomever <laughs> I want. But yeah, Shar is very respectful of the craft. <laughs> I am. It's true. You hear that, JJ Abrams? Next time in your, you're in Vancouver, Shar needs a job. Hire me. <laughs> okay. Uh, another fun fact I got for you. I only have two left. Which is surprising. I mean, this came out in 2016, so it's not too old. That was before IMDb was invented. I really. <laughs> thought that there would be more trivia i had to go i did multiple sources for this one but this is my last imdb one that i have which is that uh so i'm gonna just read it word for word uh near the end of the movie michelle makes a so-called molotov cocktail using a bottle of whiskey i include this fact because we're a drinking and screaming podcast so it's all about the liquor so a molotov cocktail is a breakable glass bottle containing a flammable substance intended to set targets ablaze rather than obliterate them Whiskey can be a flammable liquid when it has an alcohol percentage of at least 50%. Michelle uses a bottle of Glenvoglin, a fictitious 80-proof, 27-year-aged single malt scotch. Since the whiskey is made in Scotland, 80-proof translates to roughly 45.7% alcohol. Michelle wouldn't be able to set it on fire. But here's the thing. We did learn that the fart gas is very flammable, And she throws it directly into an alien's mouth. So maybe the fart gas was the initial light that made the fire burn hotter. And then that lit the whiskey on fire. But I think she like dips the like whatever uh, material she's using to create this in the liquid. And that's what she lights on fire the first time. Mm, Maybe there's residual fart gas. I don't know. But that isn't that is interesting. (laughs) That just means that the. Whoever made the movie doesn't know how to make a Molotov cocktail, and maybe that's for the best. Yeah. All right. I got two more lovely fun facts for you, and both of them are revolving around the fact that every Cloverfield movie, we learned this from our special guest who couldn't make it, every Cloverfield film has an ARG. Alternate reality game for those of you who do not know. Uh, Which is like a huge way that they viral marketed these films. 
an augmented reality game because it augments reality, not alternate reality. Alternate reality game would be kind of cool. <laughs> Which I didn't actually get to see these in action, but the closest thing I can relate to it was when, as a young child, uh, back when the, you had to dial up internet, mm-hmm. The Grudge came out. <laughs> and, uh, you they mean did... Ju- Juon or? No, the American. Ugh. Philistine. Uh, but they made a playable game. So it's not really an uh, augmented reality game, but it was still like a viral marketing tactic for them and to promote this film. You got to play as the main character, the woman who's taking care of this old lady in a house. And then no matter what, you would die. And it's always by different ghostly reasons. Sounds like a shit ass game. It was really cool. <laughs> um, I like have it ingrained in my brain. The, the moment of my hand falling to the floor and like twitching. Nice. Because that's the final thing you see. And then it's like, oh, you died or like whatever. I'm like, go see the grudge. I can't remember even <laughs> that part. The only part I really remember is my hand falling to the floor. I think the closest I've gotten to an ARG is when you when I went to the theater for Pokemon, the first movie. And they hand you a Mew card. Heck yeah. And the Mew card is the Egyptian glyphs from the movie. Nice. And that is about it. I got those. (laughs) I have two, I think. I think those sell good. Anyways. (laughs) So going off these, uh, the ARG, after cracking into the website funandprettythings.com, fans discovered secret messages that Howard wrote to his daughter, Megan, urging her to come to stay with him or at least take shelter before the chemical attack. Someone at Bad Robot even buried a survival kit in a farm in Louisiana. Like a real kit that included a flash drive with audio files that you could listen to that were from the film. Oh, that's rad. I thought that was for Paradox, not 10 Cloverfields. Um, that is possible. They might have done an... Oh, no, wait, no, never mind. I'm thinking of something else. I am thinking of 10 Cloverfield Lane. I was, okay. I remember hearing... In our Discord. I was like, I'm pretty sure I did that right, but maybe not. No, yeah. In our Discord, <laughs> people were talking about the ARG for 10 Cloverfield Lane, about how it like sent people to fields and stuff. Right. And then they were very disappointed by the Paradox one. Ah. Yeah. But this one was cool. That one was cool. Paradox one was not. <laughs> um, so actually, speaking of the Cloverfield Paradox, my last point kind of revolves around that too. So this I'm also reading word for word from um, Screen Rant website just mm. so you know, which is like a trivia movie website based off similar company from the gamer which i also wrote for for a Ooh. while but i did not write this anyways <laughs> uh before the tagruato which is the company involved in all these films before the tagruato website was updated for the cloverfield paradox it could still be explored by fans in the early stages of the 10 cloverfield lane arg howard stambler's picture popped up on the website under the employee of the month page oh cool so he is confirmed to have worked for them the website revealed that howard was a telemetry analyst for bold futura a substitute of Tagarado that dealt with advanced technology for the military and space exploration. Oh, yeah, because he worked for the satellites, full stop. <laughs> there we go. That's what Emmett says. He, he worked for satellites <laughs> and things. Yeah. The short bio on the Employee of the Month page for Howard reads, Howard will celebrate his seven-year anniversary with Bold Futura in the fall. This month, Howard's drive, commitment, and refusal to accept easy answers resulted in a significant breakthrough diagnosing transmission complications with two of our government clients orbiting satellites. So it seems like he was successful up until his wife left him. Which I think is very um, evident. That's like a huge 
impact that would yeah. happen on you. And the doesn't accept the easy answers would be like, well, I don't accept that she left and I could just get a new daughter and yeah. she's Rachel now. Yeah. You like French and you'll learn to love cooking. Oh, that line. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. That's uh, all the trivia I got for you. Actually, about that line, I know it's very sexist, but also Howard needs to worry about maintaining like facilities and stuff like that. He already built this place, okay? Emmett, why, why couldn't Emmett cook? Yeah, that's the thing, is that telling her that is bad, but the idea that he shouldn't be in charge of cooking is fine, I think. But, but yeah, he make- has to have everything be his own specific way, like wear your placemats and coasters all times. Yes, blah, which blah, is blah. fine. But in a situation where there are three people in a bunker, I think getting the guy that knows how the bunker runs to be in charge of like day-to-day cooking and cleaning is not the most efficient thing. But she's also the only one that can go through the air ducts to fucking save their recyclable air machine. Which is after he says that bad line. Still, doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, there was another trivia fact that we learned from our, our guest is that so... Cloverfield Paradox references the first movie pretty blatantly. We haven't seen it yet, so we won't spoil mm-hmm. what it is. And 10 Cloverfield Lane never really references Cloverfield 1. Even the alien doesn't look anything like right. Cloverfield Monster. But apparently in the air duct, like the the, the safety area, area. That she gets out, yeah. There's an envelope from the company in Japan that the main character from Cloverfield is going to go work for. That got sent to Howard. Yeah, so that's that's the only reference to the first movie is that there is an envelope in the background from the company from the first movie, and that's it. And then, you know, the name of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Which it was originally not even going to be called that. It was going to be called The Cellar. Yeah, because I think the idea was that it was... Everything about this movie was supposed to conceal the fact that there were aliens at the end Which of the movie. Which would have been so cool. It would have been very cool if this movie came out as like, this summer, a woman is captured and thrown into a, th- a cellar. Will she be able to survive John Goodman's weird advances? And then <laughs> aliens. We should do like a montage of every time you do a fake trailer. Oh, yeah. That would be great. <laughs> and then make movies based on that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts for me? We kind of literally just did my final thoughts. Well, perfect. (laughs) Uh, Which is that I am very bummed that the branding of this movie had to be Cloverfield. And the second trailer spoiled everything. Like, I genuinely wish that we had this movie in our history that, like, was released as a standard, like, kidnapping thriller with John Goodman and and the guy from Hush. And what else is... Michelle been in? She's in one of the Final Destinations. I think the third one. Nice. So She even just... drives, fun trivia fact, she drives the same car she drove in this movie as in Final Destination 3. Anyways. Um, yeah, because like it would have been so cool to walk into the theater, just watch, or I guess if it was a thriller, I probably wouldn't watch it in the theater. But like to open up Netflix and been like, 10 Cloverfield Lane, this looks cool. It's suggested because you watched enough and The Cell and I don't know. Panic Room. Yeah. But the fact that they didn't have enough faith in the branding to get people to watch it, that they had to then convert it into, this is Cloverfield. You love Cloverfield. It's really disappointing. That's fair. I'm a huge fan, actually, of that style of horror movie, of, like, thriller or whatever, of, like, woman gets kidnapped. Like, 
I love watching that style of film. Yeah. Um, and it would have been cool to go in thinking you were going to watch that. And then you would which be. Which we do. Yeah. It's basically the whole movie except for the end. Mm-hmm. I do agree, though, because like I love the dance that this movie does on the is it real? Is, it is there an apocalypse it? or yeah. not? And the fact that I went into it knowing basically because of the name they, and the Because um, I think we watched trailers. Cloverfield first. So you're like, oh, it's going to be another. Yeah. Apocalypse film. Yeah. Yeah, so that kind of ruined it, which is my final thought, too. Yeah, yeah, because I think, like, Cloverfield was intended to be an anthology series that didn't have really any any tie-ins. Yeah. So, like, the first and second one don't have any tie-ins with each other, and then apparently Paradox just really ham-fists the Cloverfield monster in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would have been cooler to just have just a, a loose anthology or something like that. Because um, who's the guy that did District 9? Oh, uh, I I wouldn't be able to tell you. I've seen it. I hated that movie. Uh, so District 9 was made by Neil Blomkamp, who then made a anthology sci-fi series on YouTube. Okay. And it's so good. I think we oh. watched a few of them before. And yeah, it's just that kind of thing. Is, like, I feel like that's probably what J.J. Abrams wanted to do. I love how you say his name, <laughs> J.J. Abrams. But like the success of Cloverfield probably made it so that his company didn't want him to do like one-offs and stuff they wanted right. him to make like a series which of- is funny that stranger things is kind of going through the same thing like they wanted to do individual stories for every season yeah but, but then everyone, everyone just- fell in love with their characters so hard that they're like oh guess we're stuck with these which i'm glad that that happened because it was so good yeah yeah that's another i shouldn't have opened that can of worms we'll do a, a stranger <laughs> things episode in one day well that's been 10 cloverfield lane a movie about the apocalypse maybe maybe not Maybe, though. Maybe not. But maybe, though. (laughs) This October, we'll be diving into the best horrors to get you in the Halloween mood. Next week, we'll be watching one of my faves, Paranormal Activity. Ah! And remember, always scream responsibly. Ah!